right, Mark chapter number 10, and uh, we got down through verse 45 last time, and we're going to go back to verse 45, because verse and before going on into blind Bartimaeus, which is verse 46 to 52 here, and uh, this is actually fascinating here uh, with all of the drama that's been going on, and again, I tried to, you know, illustrate that out with you back and forth. Then uh, we're a week before Calvary. He's set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. But he stops at Jericho there, that uh, cursed city, and he heals blind Bartimaeus. So he's on the way to the cross, and uh, he stops. And the apostles see this. They see the determination. They see him going. And then Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus cries out, he stops. So really we begin to see a picture here of what's happening in the nation as a whole. And it's really fascinating as he's going. And there, So we'll see this next time. We'll get into this, not tonight, but next time, about Bartimaeus and really the successful uh, outcome of everything that's to happen. So before we do that, um, I want to go back into verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, if you come over to Matthew 20 and verse 28, Matthew 20, 28, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so it's identical. The two verses are identical, really, in Matthew and in Mark here. And what's happening is there's something very significant in this that we need to catch because the verse gets really abused. Now, go back to Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister that here he is, the Son of Man, that messianic title, the ideal man. Here he comes, and he comes to give, not to get, Romans 5, verse 8, but God committeth his, uh, I just had it, Romans 5. That's how it goes, isn't it? Romans 5 and verse 8. But God committeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us. That's not the verse I want. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Sorry. Maybe this is the verse. Yeah, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's that issue of the giving. He gave. That ultimate, now go back to Mark 10, that ultimate illustration of service that issue of he's giving himself, and that's what we're at here. So we see this ultimate picture, ultimate display, and yet he's not getting the gain or anything, he's giving. But yet now what happens with this verse is it gets to be greatly misunderstood and then therefore misused. It gets used by the Calvinist to say, see, Jesus Christ really didn't die for all man. 
He only died for the many. And that is in their, in that tulip doctrine, that is that issue of limited atonement. So you have this issue here that comes up here in Mark 10, 45, where they use this verse to, to again, mis, it's misunderstood, so then it gets misused. Good evening, guys. And it, it ends up being something that really we need to, Pay, pay attention co to because the Calvinists and other you know people out there they use this verse to say, see, the Lord really didn't die for everyone. He he died only for the many. So the many is not everybody. It's a piece of everybody, but it's not everybody. So when you come over to First Timothy chapter two, you get a. <clears throat> And you compare this verse with Mark 10. Now, so now all of a sudden we have a quandra, we have a conflict. All right, now what? So 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, who will have all men to be saved? How many men? All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And here's our verse, verse 6, 1 Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. And to, to be testified in due time. So now it's all. It's not many. So now that's going to be different than Matthew 20 and Mark 10. Many is a specific group. All is a reference to everybody. So what you have is the reason it's different is the end of verse 6. To be testified in due time. Whereunto I, and that's the Apostle Paul, am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. There is a, the reason Mark 10 says what Mark 10 says, and then Paul comes along in the progressive revelation, in the further revelation says what he says, is because of this due time testifier. There's some Things here that Paul is going to get into in his in the ministry and the message given to him that tells us that, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ do, does die for the many, but he doesn't just die for the many. He ends up dying for everybody. Mark 10 says what it says. Mark 10.45 says what it says, means what it says, yet it's not our doctrine today. So God does for all and that's why understanding the word rightly divided dispensational bible study really just helps tremendously when you come into verses like this it clears it up and so when you go back to mark 10 or matthew 20 which their two verses are identical where he talks there about he gave himself to give his life a ransom for many. The many is the nation of Israel. John 1, 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Matthew 1, he came to save his people. He's going to call his name Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins. His people. Paul says, yes, he did that, yet now we know that he did more than just that. And he gave a ransom for all. It's interesting Paul in, in 1 Timothy 2 uses the word ransom. 
He doesn't just say died for all. He says he, he was that ransomed. And that ransom, and then in Mark 10, 45, what does he say? He gave his life a ransom for many. So there's something important here to notice why Mark 10, Matthew 20, and even Paul uses that word about, says that he gave his life a ransom. Here in Mark 10, for the many, and in Paul, in 1 Timothy, for us today, the all. When you think about a ransom, you think about it is a payment. It's a, it's a payment for someone in danger. We think about kidnapping, and then they demand a ransom. It's really you're paying the price to redeem or rescue or deliver someone from captivity. And that's really going to be what the Lord is talking about here in Mark. He's, he's coming, uh, come over to Matthew 26 while we're talking here. There's something here that people kind of miss or, well, I don't know if they really miss it or, well, I guess they would miss it if they understood it. They, they just don't like to give Paul his due and the message given to Paul. And yet, they'll preach Paul's gospel. Okay? And we've already seen in Mark three times where he's told them, I'm going to Cal, I'm going to Jerusalem to die and be buried and rose again, rise again the third day. And they don't get it. They, don't argue, they argue with him. They don't understand it. He's told them, the scripture says, the prophets say, I've got to go do this. I'm going to do it. They don't get it. You know, we've already seen it in Mark 8 where he tells them and Peter rebukes him and back and forth. So to preach the gospel of the kingdom, they, the, I mean, these guys are preaching the gospel of the kingdom, but the cross of Calvary isn't in it, is not a part of it. Paul gets in and all Paul talks about in the gospel of the grace of God is Calvary and the death, burial, and resurrection. That's why in Acts 3, when Peter says, hey, all these things that the prophets said about the Messiah, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, it's all been fulfilled. So the death, the resurrection, the ascension of the Messiah are clearly identifiable in Scripture. But yet, when you look, and, and by the way, we see that because we have the completed revelation and we can look back and see it. If you look at here at Matthew 26, verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, he's in the upper room. This is after the Passover, you know. <laughs> this isn't the Lord's Supper. They just had the supper. One guy called this the Lord's snack, you know. <laughs> and it's not even that. And, and today, you know, <laughs> people get all kind of bent out of shape here. But if you look at verse 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament. Now, he's done told these guys at least three times, this is what's going to happen and they aren't getting it. They're, they're not cluing into it. So as he's explaining his death and who he's dying for, it's always the many. So we've got two things here. We've got ransom, 
and then we've got many. And the ransom is very important to catch in the, in the, in the way that they view the cross and the mean, how the, the, the 12 were looked, the little flock were looking at the cross because it was a ransom and it was to be a payment to rescue some people from captivity. And he says that, which is shed for many, verse 28. See that many for the remissions of sin. So if you come back to Jeremiah 31, and just think about this issue about ransom, and, and obviously the many is going to go with it. Jeremiah 31, here's the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's growing up with Dad at, at the church there in Chicago, Shorewood there. We were always, we'd do Bible sword drills and stuff in the old days and everything, and it'd be, where's the New Testament and the Old Testament? Well, here it is, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So who's the, co- who's the new made with? Not the church, the body of Christ, but with who? The house of Israel and the house of Jacob. By the way, Hebrews 8, verse 8, quoting this passage, calls it the New Testament. So you have that connection there. It's there. Verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's Moses. What did he make with Moses? The Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. He says, here's my law, and you are to do it. If you do it, then I'll bless you. If you don't do it, then I will curse you. And he made a covenant agreement with them. That's the agreement. And what did they, remember what they said in Exodus 19? All that the Lord says, we will surely do. Wrong answer. They should have said, we can't do this, we need your help. So what does he say, verse 33? But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now the new covenant, I will do for you what you couldn't do for yourself under the law. You failed. I'll come, the end of verse 33, I will forgive their iniquity. I will forgive their sins. I will take care of, I will ransom you. Okay? And then I will put my, Ezekiel uh, 36, he says he puts his spirit in them. Gives them a new heart. Causes them to walk. He He says, I will justify you. I will ransom you. And then I will put my spirit in you, there in verse 33. I will put my law in your inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God. I will cause you to go and do and be the nation, that, that righteous nation, that nation that, that will inherit the kingdom. I will put the, my spirit in you. I will write. Nobody will have to say there in verse uh, 
34, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? They're going to know. So now they can go do the commission of Matthew 28 in the kingdom. They don't have to worry about anything. They're not out here trying to evangelize each other. Now they're over here trying, now they're out evangelizing the Gentiles, which is the whole purpose of the nation of Israel. They, what they couldn't do because they're the sons of Adam. God is going to redeem them. He's going to forgive their sins. He's going to put his spirit in them and then enable them to be his people that he chose them to be. And then they're going to they're going to be totally equipped to be that nation, that righteous nation who's going to inherit the kingdom and then turn around Genesis 12 and go out and be a blessing to the families of the earth. That whole process. Okay? So that's going to happen that's going to happen with the new covenant. The, the Lord is teaching them this in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. In in the Gospels, he is laying in the doctrines of the New Covenant. It isn't in them yet because they have to go through the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, get the rebel out of them, get the dross out of them, the ten, they got to be cleaned up. They got to go through, they got to go underneath that hand of the Antichrist. Then the true Israel of God shows up, the true believers. And he says, okay, and then they get it. Now, all right? Now, said a lot to go, you're in Jeremiah 31, go back to verse 1. Notice when this is going to happen, okay? Actually, look in chapter 30, verse 22, just to get the timing of all of this. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. When he says, you're going to be my people, who's uh, Israel, that's who he's talking about. Verse 23, Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. The whirlwind is a picture of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah, uh, um, Job 37, and he, and he comes in those clouds, and it's the whirlwind, and he's taking vengeance. It shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. Well, who's the head of the wicked? The Antichrist, the adversary, the, the beast, the false prophet, and the dragon. There they are. He's going to wound, he's going to deal with the adversary and his program. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he hath done it until he hath performed the intents of his heart, watch, in the latter days ye shall consider it. Those days haven't happened yet. The body of Christ, the dispensation of grace, has interrupted that. What's going to happen in the latter days? Now, historically, in Jeremiah, where is Israel? They're going off in the Babylonian captivity. So they're going to go they're going to experience in time what he's telling them is going to come in the future. The historical context can't miss that. It's critical. So what's happening in the latter days ye shall consider it. Now watch verse 1. At the same time. Okay? While while he's sending judgment 
while he's sending wrath upon Israel and those who've rejected him, at the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. Think about that. They found grace where? In the wilderness. What's the opposite of grace? Law. The law, where, by the way, where'd they get the law? In the wilderness. They couldn't do it. They failed to do it. So he says, now I'm going to come and I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself over here. I'm here to do that. Verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, uh, by the way, back in verse 2, when he says there, I have uh, left of the sword, they found grace in the wilderness. That issue of the valley of Achor, Joshua 7, is what he's talking about. In verse 3, he says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I've said it before and over and over again. The Old Testament is a dress rehearsal for the big event at the end. There's a Remember what happened in the Valley of Achor? The sin of Achan. There's sin in the camp. They just went up. Jericho knocked it all down. They go up against that little city, A, and A beats them bad. Why? Because what did God tell them to do? You wipe everything out, you burn it, you don't keep any of it. And uh, Achan kept that uh, Babylonian garment, set in the camp. They realized it, they fixed it, they cleaned it up. Then they went up against A and 1 again. That valley of Achor, Hosea 2 is where that's at, and it's called the, the door of hope. You've got to have hope here. And when you, where, where, when you find your sin, Israel, and you clean it up and you work it out and you do what needs, you're going to have hope. Drop down to verse 8. By the way, if you look there at verse 4, he says, again, I will. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye. And say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. That is not us. That's who? That's that believing remnant. What he calls in Luke, the little flock. Verse 8, behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them. So he's going to regather Israel. And he's going to bring them from the coast of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the women with children, and her that travaileth with child together, a great company shall return hither. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. Will I lead them? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water. There's Psalms 23, in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am the fa a father to Israel, and to Ephraim is and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations. Now he's going to talk to the Gentiles. All right, Israel, here's what I'm going to do with you. You're going to be judged. You're going to pass through. 
I will gather up a remnant out of you. I will produce a generation over here in the future that's going to be the righteous nation. All right, Gentiles, nations, pay attention. O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattereth Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Remember in Matthew, Mark, if you're going to beat the strong man, you first got to do what with him? Bind him. But this one is, this guy, the ad, he's talking about the adversary, the satanic policy of evil, the satanic captivity. That guy's got them bound. They can't get out of it. So who do they need? They, ha- they need a redeemer. They need a deliverer, someone to come in and loose the hand, loose the captivity, and off we go. Now, come over to Isaiah 49. So what you have, if you think about this, is here you have the earthly ministry of Christ. He's headed to Calvary. That's where he's headed, okay? The earthly ministry, Jesus Christ. He's headed to Calvary. Now, over here is that tribulation, 70th week of Daniel. He's talking about the second coming. At the second coming, what's going to, the latter days, all right? The latter days, what's he going to do? He's going to institute the new covenant with them. He's going to ransom them. He's going to set up the kingdom. A thousand years and off you go. What's he doing here? There's events. He's going to come back. He's going to pour out his wrath and judgment. But he's, he's setting things up. But he's delivering. Did I tell you Isaiah 49? All right, I got to get there. That's what he's doing here. So when he talks there in Jeremiah about the strong, the stronger, the strong man, um, <clears throat> I got to read how he said it there. Ransom him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. That is a reference to the satanic captivity that Israel has found herself in. So we're, look, we're reading about the spiritual condition within Israel itself, the nation, okay? Isaiah 49, verse 23. Uh, he's, uh, again, here he's talking about uh, the kingdom and the, the uh, restoring uh, Israel back and, and, the he- and so forth. Verse 23, and the king's shall be thy nursing fathers and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth. Lick up the dust of thy feet, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Again, he's talking about the kingdom. He's describing the, the interaction, the, the, the nations, how they're going to interact with Israel out over here, but it's because of this. Okay? Verse 24, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? Notice the question. 
because the Lord is saying Israel is going to be the head, not the tail any longer. Israel is going to be the lender, not the, the one in trouble. They're going to be back in their rightful position. And the adversary stands up and says, hang on a minute. Objection, Your Honor. <laughs> Stop. They are the prey. Notice that. Shall the prey, that's Israel, Satan has preyed on them. Just as he did with Adam and Eve. Just he did it with Israel. By the way, he does it with us. He preys on them. Can the prey be taken from the mighty? There's an objection labeled here. They are lawfully captive. Think about that. The, they broke the law of God. Satan is saying, look, God, you wrote a law. They broke it. That covenant says if they break it, they're mine. And now you're saying you're going to fix them? You're going to restore them? You're going to make them the head? You can't deliver. You can't do that. They belong to me. They're under the curse of captivity because they broke the covenant. They broke the Mosaic law. So they're legally held in captivity because they legally broke the Mosaic covenant. That if and then. So Satan's got his hands on them. He's got them in grips. He's held by, the, taken from the mighty, that spiritual force, strength of the adversary that they can't break. There's a thing. Look over in Job, just real quick. Job 40. Just hold on to Isaiah. The pictures in all of this, all through here, is just tremendous uh, when you leave them where they belong. Look at Job 40. Uh, if you look at verse 15, he says, Behold now, behemoth which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. That word behemoth, uh, Schofield's note calls him an elephant. He's not an elephant. He's that guy in Revelation 13, that composite being, creature, okay? So we're talking about the Antichrist. Now, just look down at verse 19. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. The only thing that's going to kill the Antichrist is God's word. He's the one that made him. He's the Isaiah 10, the Assyrian. He's a rod of my indignation. The only way the Antichrist... So Israel thinks, now go back to Isaiah 49. Israel thinks they're going to defeat the Antichrist. No, you're not. The only way you're going to do it is if I come and do it. I come back and do. So when you look over here at verse 24, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? They are held by, held by the adversary in satanic captivity they can't break away he's more powerful than they, they can't resist him they failed and he's taken them captive they are the prey of the mighty 
He's stronger than they. The law has got them guilty because they broke the law. He's got them. Okay? So now watch verse 25. Because it looks bleak in verse 24 because Israel is in a bleak condition. But watch verse 25. But thus saith the Lord. Hang on a minute. Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will... Wait a second. When my kids were little, they would have this little fight every now and then of, no, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. That's what's literally happening here. The adversary is saying, no, I can't, and the Lord's saying, yes, I can. And they're going back and forth, why? Well, for I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweat, I'm sorry, as with sweet wine. And all the flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. They're going back and forth, and you know what the Lord finally says? I can do this because of the cross work. I can redeem, I can ransom them because I'm going to go pay the price that the law requires to get them out of captivity. Chapter 50, verse 8. He is near that justifieth me who will contend with me let us stand together who is mine adversary let him come near to me that's where we're that's what's happening on the cross verse six there i gave my back to the smiter my cheeks to them that plucked off my hair i hid not my face from shame and spitting he's talking about calvary and he says listen i went there there's a, there's a battle, that, that uh, wonderful song, uh, It Is Finished, and the battle on the cross, and it's raging for the souls of men. Here it is. There's this battle that's raging since Genesis 3. We're at the seat of the woman versus the seat of Satan, and this battle has been raging, and it's coming to a boiling point on the cross. So when we look at Mark 10... 45 there, and, he's, and he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to engage the battle now, full on. Think about what the earthly ministry of Christ, what has he been doing? Luke 8, he's, verse 1, he's been preaching and showing. He's been casting out the devils and healing the sick, casting out the unclean spirits, healing the... Remember when we looked at that guy, Legion? And he says, don't kick, don't, just put us over in, in the, don't get us out of the land and all this stuff. And he comes in and he just says, be gone and get out. And what is he picturing? That restoration of Israel, getting, out of the, getting them out of captivity. What's going on? There's a battle going to rage. He's the ransom for many. When you think, think about where we're at in Mark, what, he's going to the battle. That's where he's going. He said his faith. It's time. My hour is here. Off we go. He's not just dealing with something, you know, just because hey, I got nothing else to do. There's a 
battle raging. So he's the ransom. He gave his life a ransom. He's going to go pay the price. Now you're in Isaiah, come over to 53. By the way, usually when you ask somebody where the cross is in the Old Testament, they usually take you to where? Isaiah 53. They don't think about Psalms 22 or any of the other good passages. But you come to Isaiah 53, and, and a lot of times the reason is, is because of Acts 8 with Philip and the, the, the Ethiopian, the, the eunuch, and he gets up and he takes him to Isaiah 53. But again, when you read Isaiah 53, who's, who's he talking to? Well, look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That's a great verse. It's a wonderful verse depicting what's happening. The problem is it's not to the church. It's to Israel. It's to Isaiah. Keep reading. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You want a great Bible definition of sin there. We've turned everyone to where? His own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You got, you got an all to start. You start as a sinner. And you got an all at the end where you're a believer. That's, you know, I heard that preached growing up from different folks over the years. You know, and that's what, but the thing is, is, well, look at verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of all people. No, my people was he stricken. Well, who's Isaiah's people? Israel. That's who they are. So the whole context here, again, when we're witnessing the people and talking to people, these verses say what we like them to say. And that's fine, but dispensationally, understand where are we? We're over here. We're talking about this event, but we're also talking about this over here. Keep reading. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's what's happening on the cross. And with uh, uh, bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That's exactly what's happening on the cross. For he shall see his seed. Well, who is that? That's Israel. That's Abraham's seed. He's a believing remnant, actually, to get a little more specific. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his Knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He's numbered with the, verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Again, many. That's, that's where Mark 10's coming from. They're actually quote, he's quoting Mark this passage here, Matthew 20 and Mark 10. It's not all, it's what? It's many. So the cross was 
God redeeming, ransoming, ransoming, ransoming the nation of Israel so that they could come and be his nation in the earth and then be his vehicle to take his salvation out to the Gentiles, which is exactly what Genesis 12 said the Abrahamic covenant was designed to do. So ultimately, the Old Testament has Gentile salvation in view, but through the nation of Israel. Not, okay? So come over to Luke 18. All right? So the many, obviously, here is Israel. Look at Luke 18. By the way, with Paul, further revelation. We'll see it in just a second here. He says, you know what? Yes, he did die for the many. Yes, he does die for Israel to do that. But now, the age of grace, here we are today, dispensation of grace. The body, now, it's an all. It's a many back here, little flock, believing remnant. It's going to be a mini over here. It's going to be the little flock, the believing remnant. Revelation calls them the overcomers. That's who we're talking about. Here we are. We go home, and off we are. Okay? By the way, this is the Acts period, 1 to 8. And guess what? Little flock, believing remnant. Remember in Acts 2, Peter says, get out of that untoward generation. There they are. Apostate Israel, the apostate, get out of that and get into this. They got into it by the door of water baptism, John's baptism. So really it's a Jewish Baptist church, if you, if you will. It's what it is. And off you go. Now, what did I tell you? Luke 18. You got Luke 18. Now watch verse 31. Luke 18, 31. Then he took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So all of the prophets, everything that Jeremiah said, that Isaiah said, that David says in Psalms, that Moses says about the serpent being raised, all that is going to be accomplished. Verse 32, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on and shall and they shall scourge him and put him to death and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood everything he said, rejoiced and went out preaching to everybody. No. What does he say? They understood none of these things and the saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Again, they've been preaching the gospel of the kingdom for three and a half years, three years, three, little three and a half years almost, and that gospel contains nothing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel of our salvation today, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the only way you can preach that gospel is to know something about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what does he say? 
Christ died for our sins. By the way, according to what? Scripture. Why? Because all the prophets and everybody talked about it. It's there. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. It's nothing new. Now, Paul gives us the meaning of it, and I'm jumped the gun a little bit, but what's going to happen? They don't know he's going to die here. They've been preaching the good news of the kingdom. By the way, the good news of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. Everything that's been promised by the prophets, that kingdom, is what? It's here now. It's at hand. This doorbell ringer is at hand. What can you do? You can take it. It's time for it to be offered. Not anything about death, burial, and resurrection. Actually, Peter in Acts 2 says, by wicked hands you crucified the Messiah. You killed him. So, different viewpoint of Calvary. Paul comes in and says, hey man, I glory. Oh, I only glory in the cross, Galatians 6. It's the only place to glory. Now, come down. You're in Luke 18. Come over to... Luke 24. So the gospel of the kingdom doesn't contain the death, burial, and resurrection information. The Lord has just told them, I'm going to die. It's time to engage the enemy. It's time to engage the battle. I'm going to go and give my life a ransom for many, for the believing element of Israel, for the believing remnant, that little flock. And you guys are going to suffer in the neck and so on, and you just need to know I'm going to do that. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Now, Luke 24, we are after the resurrection. If you actually, if you look at verse 25, the two on the road there to uh, Emmaus, verse 25, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Look at all the prophets, fools. By the way, fools there, that's the, the idea of slow thinking, not, slow to heart. They're not catching on. They're, they're, they're behind the curve a little bit here. Verse 25, verse 26, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whether they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. And verse 31, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. These two guys are going, Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, not only what just happened, he's the one everybody's been talking about. Now look at verse 44, because now he's got the, the upper, he's got the, by the way, these guys getting locked down, he just shows up in the middle of them and says, boo. <laughs> he doesn't say boo, he says peace, okay? He just shows up. He walks through the wall, boom, he's right there, and he says, hey, I'm a little hungry. You got something to eat, you know? And Peter's going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. One, two, who's, you know, well, he's the 11th guy in the room. Now, think about what's happening here, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. All the stuff written, I told you about it, I opened the scriptures to you, I read them, I gave it all to you. And Mark, starting in chapter 8, 9, and 10, three times he brings it up to them. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. What does he do? He reaches over there and he takes the veil off. He just takes that veil away. And what now do they understand? Okay. Have you ever wondered how in Acts 1, Peter can quote some obscure passage in Psalms and, and identify it as the bishopric of Judas? And you go read that psalm that he's quoting, it, how, where did he get Judas out of that? Well, what's happened? The Lord spent 40 days with them, Acts 1. Give him a little Bible. But if you look at Acts 1, he spent 40 days speaking of them, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He, he went in there. He literally opened up their understanding. Light bulbs go off. The heavens open, the angels sing, if you will. And they're like, now we get it. Now we see what's happening. Now, come over to Romans 3. The, unveil, the, the unveiling allowed them to take and understand what was in the scriptures and to see it and to grasp it. But yet, there is, some, there is information that at the time wasn't in the scriptures. It's called the mystery. It's called this information held out, given to Paul, revealed to the Apostle Paul after the issue. That's why Paul would say, Galatians 1, 11, I neither received this of man, neither was I taught it by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ, I get my... I didn't learn it from these guys. I learned it over here on the, from direct revelation from the Lord himself. The risen, ascended, and seated on heavenly. See, that's why in Romans 16, Paul will say, we preach Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Ephesians 3, verse 1, he'll say, how I've received, I have two verses in my head, and I think I've convoluted them together. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of, grace, of the grace of God, which has given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. That's Ephesians 3, 1, 2, and 3 there. What's going to? There was some secret information here, mystery, that wasn't made known. There was no way for the, the uh, 12 apostles to under, They didn't understand it anyway. After the fact, the Lord opens our understanding, pulled the veil away, but yet this was still veiled because it's not time, that due time testifier isn't there yet. Now, Romans 3, Paul's on the scene. Verse 21. But now, okay, so what are we? We're in the but now. This is time past, but now, today, the age of grace, the dispensation of grace, the righteousness of God without the laws manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 
So some things were happening back there. Now here's some more information. Now the righteousness of God is what? Without the law is manifest. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, that's the Father, has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation, that satisfying payment, that ransom payment. The debt is satisfied. Now watch, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now, the path through the, for the remissions of sins that are past, those are not your past sins. When Christ died, your sins were future. <laughs> He's not talking about your past. He's talking about time past. Okay? He's talking about how could God back here... Look over at chapter 4 of Romans. Look at verse 6. David. Psalms 32. Psalms 103. Even as David described the blessedness of the, of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. How can David back here experience forgiveness and he doesn't know why? Because he's the king, he committed adultery, he should have been killed. He committed murder, he should have been killed. But Nathan, he did what Nathan told him, what God told him, and he was what? Forgiven. How could that happen? Well, what does 325 say? Through the forbearance of God. Now, slip something in the three and come with me to Hebrews chapter 9 so you understand this. The forbearance issue, the issue of forbearance, that is, forbearance simply means the extension of time for the payment of a debt. So look at Hebrews 9, catch the idea here. Hebrews, obviously, written to who? To Hebrews, to Israel, okay? God's the author of it. Hebrews 9, look at verse 12, uh, verse 11, but Christ being, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into, in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What are, the one sacrifice. What are we talking about? The cross. Verse 15. And for this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament. That Now watch, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see that thing there about the transgressions that were under the First Testament? That's what Paul's picking up on in Romans 3. This, these guys back here in time past, what did God know was coming? He knew the cross was coming. So what could he do to the saints of the Old Testament? Based on a future payment, what can I do? I can forgive. I can justify. I can, not me, God. <laughs> Okay, all right, so go back to Romans 3. 
When he says there in verse 25, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, God was forgiving and justifying people in time past on the fact that the cross was coming. Okay? Now you think about a, the thing about forbearance, think about a credit card. You charge at the gas pump, because you've got to have a credit card nowadays to cover the price of gas. Can't do a debit card to wipe your bank. <laughs> but what, it, what happens? Fry's Fuel gets the money. You've made a promise to pay. So what did the credit card company give you? Forbearance, grace period, to pay it. Okay? That's the, that's the idea. What does God know? God knows Calvary's coming. He's been talking about it since Genesis 3. So he says, look, that's why that thing in Hebrews 9 there, the blood of bulls and goats didn't get it done, but what did the blood of bulls and goats prove and show? By faith, they're doing what the Word of God says. What was the covenant? If you obey my word and do it, then I will bless you, and if you don't, then I will curse you. So what would the believer do? He'd be doing what he was told to do. His faith in what the Word of God to him was in the moment. I always use Noah. What did God tell Noah? He says, build a boat, build an ark. Now, Hebrews calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So what was Noah preaching? Well, you read Enoch and you read Jude, he's preaching judgment's coming. And if you want to get saved from the judgment, don't go to Calvary, get in the boat. Get in this big ark I'm building. Now, man, the violence and the wickedness of man wouldn't do that, but he's doing, he was a preacher of righteousness. What was it? By faith in the word of God to him in the moment, that's what he's doing. So when you come back over here to Romans 3, verse 25, what God did in time past based on the fact that he knew the cross was coming, what did he do? He gave a remissions of sins. But he does it through his forbearance. Look, if you will, at verse 26. Well, you know what? Look, look at, well, verse 26. To declare, I say, where? At this time, the but now. His righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, how is he able to forgive the broken law in time past? By the way, he can do that. Remember what he told Moses? I can have mercy on upon whom I can want him to have mercy. I can have compassion. Why? How could he do that? How could God step outside of his given word and say, I'll have mercy on whom I want to have mercy. I'll have compassion. I can do this. Because what did Calvary do? Calvary ransomed, paid it, and he knew it was coming. Okay? That's why verse 25 whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. God the Father had faith in the blood, the shed blood of the Son to do what? Pay the price. Pay the ransom note. Okay? Now come over to 1 Corinthians 2, just real quick here. 1 Corinthians 2. So today, because of Paul, the revelation given to the Apostle Paul, we can look back at things 
and we can identify them. Now, the reason the mystery was a mystery, 1 Corinthians 2, and look at verse 7. Paul talking to the Corinthians, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. Knew what? Not the cross. The cross has been talked about all through the prophets. Okay? What did they know? What did they not know? The hidden wisdom. See? You see, what's happening is, is the cross has been talked about. The meaning of the cross was the hidden, was the secret. What did Calvary mean? How do we know Romans 3.25? Because who wrote it? Paul did. But notice what he says here, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, the hidden wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If Satan had known what Calvary was going to accomplish, he would not have done it. If they would have known that the full meaning of the cross, that it was, the, was going to not only ransom Israel, but ransom all of mankind, everyone, then they would not have killed the Messiah. They wouldn't have killed him. They just let it be. But because he kept a secret... Now he's made known the full meaning of it. One of that issue is that thing there in Romans 3. So when you come back to Mark 10, I say all that to say this. <laughs> now we can get into the verse. I'm just kidding. Mark 10, 45. You see, folks, understanding Paul, Paul, you need Paul to understand back here. By the way, you need Paul to understand the future as well. You can't understand Calvary at its fullest without the Apostle Paul because he's, shine, because he's the full, that progressive revelation. It's been progressing about the cross. That little scarlet thread right through Scripture. Paul gets over, and here's the fullness of it. It's completed. And he shines a light on it. So, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That perfect picture of the perfect servant. He came to give, not to gain. And to give his life a ransom for many. That's not the Calvinistic idea of limited atonement. And it also shines a light that there is value found in the cross all through all of it. Even in the Lord's eyes. Because where is he going? Now we're going to get into blind Bartimaeus next time. And we're, he goes to Jericho. And, you, and he's going to do this with, and with, with Bartimaeus here. And what's going to happen? You're going to see this great picture of the spiritual condition in Israel and again, that issue of apostasy, as he's going to Calvary, he makes a U-turn. He set his face to go. And these guys get, okay? 
So the event of Calvary is prophesied, but the full meaning of the cross is what was kept secret. And it was kept secret so that Satan would crucify Christ. And then that, then that meaning, that full meaning of the cross was revealed to and through the Apostle Paul to the world. So Calvary is not a good thing in the prophecy. It is because we understand the meaning of it. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for Calvary. And we thank you for the full revelation given to the Apostle Paul so that we can understand that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.